when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please bow as we pray. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. If you've ever searched for a used vehicle, then you, you must be familiar with getting a Carfax report prior to making the sale. If you're not familiar, you might say, Pastor, what's a Carfax report? The vision of Carfax Company is to be the leading source of vehicle history information for buyers and sellers of used cars. Remember back in the old day, you'd get a big wad of invoices with a rubber band around it with the uh, vehicle's guide from the glove box. And the previous owner would just tell you the story of the vehicle and 
hand you all of that stuff and you would go through it to see all of the service records and so forth. Well, Carfax alleviates all of that. There's a database that has 32 billion records, and when a vehicle identification number is run through the database, the Carfax report will provide a very detailed and comprehensive list of everything you can imagine. If it's ever been in an accident, if an airbag has deployed, if the title has ever been exchanged, if it's been salvaged or junked, if there's been flood damage. You, you can also see the odometer readings every time there's been a transaction. Emissions results and all of the service records, all of the places where the car was taken provide data that feeds into the Carfax database. When we purchased Isabella, our daughter, she's now a sophomore in college, but when we purchased her first vehicle a few years ago, the dealer provided a free Carfax report. We were able to see that it had one owner, no accidents, clear title, and all of the service records that the previous owner had. There was nothing hidden, no surprises. The car was an open book. As I was preparing for this message today, I thought, hmm, what about the possibility that there might be a similar report for people? Like a, a car fax for life. That every person who walked the face of the earth has a report. As I've studied the passage and see how all of this comes together at the revelation when we see the final book of the Bible, we learn that we are all accountable before God. Perhaps God's book of life, as is mentioned in Revelation 20.12, is sort of like our life facts report. John the writer of Revelation records that we will all be judged based on all that is written about us in God's book of life. In other words, our lives will be an open book before the Lord. I'm like, Lord, uh, Lord I mean, that's a whole lot. If you think just about my life to review, and then you multiply that by billions and billions of people, and God says, I've got plenty of time. I've got all eternity to work with. God will have all eternity to review our lives and look at the ways we've handled the freedoms and responsibilities we were given by God as gifts of his grace. Today's passage has that tone to it. Jesus is pointing to a future time only known to the Father as he shares in the paragraphs before this passage, where all people will be able to see their life in review before the Son of Man as he comes as a judge. Matthew's, Matthew chapters 24 and 25 are set in the last week of Jesus' life. He has entered Jerusalem, he's journeying to the cross, and then he has these 
chapters where he is teaching about that which is to come. He addresses themes of the signs of the end of the age, the second coming, focusing on our spiritual preparation, our accountability to God, and God's judgment of all people. Quite frankly, I'd rather skip over this passage. I looked through my preaching journals of the uh, records, and I've never preached on this passage. It's a lectionary passage for Christ the King Sunday. I've quoted it a lot, especially the part where uh, that which you've done to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine or children of mine, you've done it unto me. That's part of our mission here at this church. I've heard that numerous times as I have served here from members who have gone on mission. But I've never preached on it, I, um, probably because I want to avoid texts like this that deal with judgment. We don't really want to go there, but it's part of Scripture, and every now and then we've got to look at some of these tough passages. It occurs only in Matthew's Gospel, and set in part of the Christian year as we prepare for Advent. In the early centuries of the church, Advent was sort of like the Lenten season is to Easter. Advent was a a season of spiritual preparation as one journeyed toward the celebration of the birth of Jesus, journeyed toward Christmas. For us, I don't know that we see it as much. So perhaps this text can serve as a way for us to step back and do some evaluation and ask God uh, to help us if there are some areas in our lives where we need to seek to be more faithful, whether it's prayer or scripture reading or serving or uh, giving of our time and our, our monies and so forth. So I pray this will help us as we seek God's guidance over these next several weeks. You heard Pastor Philip say that today is Christ the King Sunday. It's also called the Reign of Christ Sunday focusing on his lordship. It's a very high Christological Sunday, meaning that we focus a whole lot on the divine Jesus, the Son of God, the one who has come as Messiah, who lives and reigns with us today. As his servants, his desire is that we are faithful with all he's given to us. And Jesus chose the image of a shepherd king who called in his harvest of sheep and goats. In the first century, Palestinian shepherds would pasture both sheep and goats in the same fields. But at nighttime, the shepherd would call them and separate them into different pens or different areas, generally separated off by stone walls, so, so that the goats who were less hardy couldn't keep themselves warm, they would be put under a shelter while the, the sheep could fend for themselves when it got cold because they were more hardy. During the day, it was hard to tell them apart, but the shepherd knew. So Jesus invokes this first century shepherding image, which would have connected with his disciples and all the other people who heard him teach, that someday the Messiah, the shepherd king, 
would return and gather all the people together and separate them like a shepherd would separate the sheep and the goats. And then the shepherd king would review their lives as an open book. Maybe you're wondering, why would he choose a shepherd king? Where else do we see that? We don't have to turn far than the very familiar 23rd Psalm. Verses 1 through 4 describe the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green, green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. All of that shepherd imagery there in Psalm 23, verses 1 through 4. But verses 5 and 6 describe the sovereign Lord as king. This is a shepherd king who welcomes his followers to his banquet table, protects them from their enemies, and assures them that they will live forever in his holy dwelling place. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And remember that Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. That's John 10.10. Jesus is the Messiah King, the shepherd king who is good and who will come to judge all people. Followers of Jesus and people who do not follow Jesus according to Revelation. And he does so by calling the sheep, if you will, the sheep and the goats on that day. When we think of a harvest, usually we think of a farmer harvesting grain, uh, corn, and so forth. But shepherds were farmers too, and they would have a harvest of sheep and goats. Sometimes we think of God's harvest as our harvest, the things that we give, like our money and our time, that we donate to the work of Christ. But that's not what God's harvest consists of. God's harvest is not what we give, but who we are and how we love. Think about it. Who we are as created in the image of God and how we love our neighbor. This passage gives us a foretaste of God as judge. We are held accountable for the ways we treat other people. The judge won't look at our outward circumstances, but look deep into our hearts. Some who think they're sheep will find themselves to be goats, and others who thought they were goats will discover they were sheep after all. God alone is judge. Not all Israel will be saved, and not all Gentiles will be lost. It's about faith that reaches out to help others in Jesus' name. We are saved by faith through grace, not our works, lest no one would, bo would boast. But James says faith without works is as good as dead. Our works are an overflow of our salvation. And it's important 
to treat others in such that way. How are we supposed to treat others? The scripture we read just now makes it very clear that we are to do so. We are to treat others as if we were ministering to Jesus himself. The incarnate Christ is present in every human being. And we are called to see it that way. It's hard sometimes, though, isn't it? Maybe there were conversations around the Thanksgiving table of some of your extended family that you just wanted to leave as soon as the pie was done and the coffee was empty because there are some members of your family you just would rather not be around, and that's hard. But Christ is present in that person too, and we seek his grace to figure out how we can love and maybe leave the rest up to God. But the king said, what you have done to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done unto me. The unrighteous will be judged in the same way. What you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. It's almost like the goat side says, well, if we'd have known it was you, Lord, we'd have helped. We would have treated you much differently. But we didn't know, so we just kind of did our own thing. Jesus is saying, those who are righteous, who are called by my name, who are saved and who are following me, are serving as if I were present in every human being. And then leave the rest to him. Jesus is stressing to his listeners that the Christ is present in everyone, in the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, those who need clothes, those who are in prison. When we serve others and have compassion on them in Jesus' name, it is as if we are serving Jesus himself. The writer of Hebrews points to a very similar truth. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not forget to show hospitality to who? To strangers. Because by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. When we visited our daughter Isabella at college for parents weekend earlier this fall, it coincided with the care package that one of you all sent to her. And it was a joy to sit there in her apartment and watch her open this box with all these things in it, all these goodies. And her smile was priceless. It was like there was a bicycle under the tree at Christmas. Seeing the joy on our daughter's face and knowing how happy that care package made her, that someone took the time to do that brought an incredible delight to the hearts of Melanie and me. When someone cares for your child or your grandchild or someone dear to you, it's as if they are caring for you yourself. 
Amen? I think this is just what Jesus is saying in today's gospel lesson. The way to delight the heart of God is to help his children. We are God's harvest. We are the sheep that the careful and discerning judge separates from the goats. We are the ones by his sheer grace whose names will be recorded in the Lamb's book of life. And we are the ones to to whom one day he will say, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did to the least of these children of mine, you have done it unto me. By his amazing grace, we will long to hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Let's bow. As we pray, Heavenly Father.